0: We learned what a meeting was in the office, and we just kind of transferred that in, into the remote space at the pandemic, and it didn't work. What happened? Zoom fatigue. We just took all of our calendars and all the hallway conversations that we needed, to have, and we calendarized it and scheduled 30 meeting Zoom calls, right? And it's like, well, you know, as the funny New Yorker cartoon says, well, maybe this meeting didn't need to be an email.
1: And examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoy the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book plan B, how to scale your technology business faster, and achieve plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I'm talking with and learning from Jim Kalbeck. He is the chief evangelist at Mural. So I wasn't using a tool like Mural a few years ago. Everything we did was in person, post-it notes, whiteboards, pens. And then with the global pandemic, Everything went fully remote. And now we're back in a world where mostly we're back to -to face-to-face, certainly the work that I do with clients. But there are still some tools like Mural that we use all the time with clients. It's just a sensational way to capture all the work, give ourselves some templates to work through with clients, and then capture the output so that they can work on it again and again and again over time. So I thought it'd be great to get Jim on. Mural were fully remote before the pandemic, so I wanted to pick his brains on how do they work? What are some of the things that he's seen that Mural do really well? So we we touch on some of that. What some of his meeting etiquette tips for remote work? And he's also the author of a book called Jobs to Be Done Playbook. And I wanted to pick his brains around Jobs to Be Done. It's we've had some conversations with a number of authors on the podcast before around Jobs to Be Done, but I want to pick his brains on this on the playbook and see how he links it back to remote work and alignment, which he does extremely well. So just that, how do you build products that people are going to buy? How do you overcome the high likelihood that your startup or your project will fail by taking a jobs to be done approach? So we pick his brains around that as well. Great conversation with Jim. I loved it. I'm sure you will too.
0: Hey, I'm Jim Callback, the chief evangelist at Mural, leading online whiteboard based in Jersey City, New Jersey on the East Coast. I've been with the company for eight years and we help teams collaborate. We believe that teamwork is hard, particularly after the pandemic, and, and we want to help teams work better and drive better business results.
1: What does a chief evangelist do?
0: That's a good question. It it varies from company to company. I actually have a group of chief evangelists that have come together and we discuss questions just like that. And everybody kind of defines their role a little bit differently. But what we noticed was in markets that are new and expanding, you need a voice that kind of pushes the market not necessarily sells the product or, you know, um, is is hawking the offering, but pushing the thought leadership of the market out front. And I think Mural fits into that category, right? Digital visual collaboration is fairly new. So I'm a voice, I'm a a leading voice for the company.
1: And what market share growth? Oh, not market share growth, market growth. Because I guess what you said is if you can grow the market, Mural's going to pick up at least it's fair share, if not more. But how, how quickly is the market expanding?
0: Well, that's a, that's a good question. And it's very tough to nail that down because as a visual online collaboration platform, our growth skyrocketed during the pandemic. And now, as things are trying to settle out into the new hybrid world or whatever we're going to call that, it's 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 a little hard to predict, actually. To be honest with you, we we do believe the market is growing as, along with you know, digital workplace transformation is kind of this new emerging field that company have become urgent inside of companies. The digital employee experience, for instance, and we'll we'll definitely be part of those conversations. But we'll have to see how things kind of plateau pa- uh, post pandemic.
1: Okay, and are your competitors different now than they were in t- early 2020?
0: Uh, I think I think so. Uh, I think the that whole market has matured. I think awareness of visual collaboration platforms online has grown. I know before the pandemic, we had to just explain what the heck mural was, and I think through the pandemic, more people have come in contact with it, even if they can't use it you know at a at a proficient level. They've seen other people do it. if they got an invite link to a digital canvas. So I think aware, awareness around the category has certain certainly grown, and I think the products have matured. The other thing that's happened is there, there's a lot of new entrants, as well too. Before the pandemic, there were only a handful of folks, and Mural was one of the leading ones. Now, now there are all over the place. There's different types of whiteboards, not necessarily as powerful as something like a mural. But but as a metaphor for software, it's certainly more pervasive yeah. now.
1: Very good. Well, look, before before the pandemic, as I was saying before we were recording, we hadn't used it at all. And then we jumped in and we've been avid users of the technology. And now, even when we did it back in person, I find it very, very powerful to be able to capture the day in a way that makes it easy to go back and refresh your memory or even carry on working you know, individuals working on the same, the same topic remotely.
0: You you know, just to comment on that, you know, there's this return to the office movement, right? RTO people going back to the office, but what they don't realize is they can't go back to the old way of working. Right. And I hear a lot of people say, yeah, but I like my physical sticky notes, Jim. And I'm like, That's great. I I like physical sticky notes as well, too. But as soon as you write something on a flip chart or a whiteboard or physical sticky note in the office, great. That's great that you're there, Dom, with your team in the office. But what about everybody else who's not there? Or what about your future self who's going to be working remote on Friday that week as well, too? So, you know, it's interesting that, um, you know, post-pandemic, we're also seeing this transformation of the physical workspace to also also now has to be digital so that we so that remote work can happen because I believe it's here to that remote work will be you know part of our work experience moving forward, and the effect came back onto the physical uh, work experience right I
1: was chatting to Jim Harto, the chief scientist at Gallup about this and he and he said pre- pandemic really his his view Gallup's view around engagement was probably a day a week at home, four days in the office and post pandemic he said. Probably two days at home, three days in the office is where it'll settle, unless you're a sole contributor, in which case you probably go in a couple of days. But you've been fully remote for the all the time you've been at at Mural. So what do you do differently to make you said earlier team works hard, right? It does get harder remote. So what do you see at Mural as the sort of swings and roundabouts on this? Why are you still remote or why were you remote? And and what do you do differently? What can we learn from your eight years of experience?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great question. You know, prior to that, prior to coming to Mural, I also worked at Citrix, the makers of GoToMeeting. And I was remote then as well too. So I've been working remote in the remote collaboration space for, for well over a decade, coming up on 15 years now actually. And the the thing that the thing that I've noticed is obviously obviously our interaction is mediated through tools a lot more, or at least it's a lot more noticeable when you're working remotely, right? If you and I were in the same room, Dom, the only thing between us would be some oxygen, some air, right? And I could see your nonverbal cues. And if you took a breath, I know that you're about to speak and I would, I would slow down. And the conversation goes at this natural human pace, right? And when you put, when you put tools in front of that, it, 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 it changes how humans interact. And I think one of the One of the things that we kind of figured out the hard way when the pandemic hit and everybody went remote was we can't just take the rules of engagement from offline. And by that, I mean the norms and the conventions and the etiquette. When you go into a meeting, walking into the meeting, you know, before the meeting is kind of a roll call. There's also chit chat and a little bit of hallway conversation. Then you sit down. And you can look at everybody in the face, okay, are we all here? The way you get started, the way that you decide, the way that you end the meeting, what happens afterwards, it all changes when you're online. And even just something as innocent as taking turns, right? We've all experienced this in remote settings where two people talk at the same time and they collide, right? Or nobody talks, right? Because nobody wants to jump in. So it, it is about the tools because our interaction is mediated through the tools. But ultimately, it's about a set of skills, which I call them skills. It's norms, habits, behaviors, rituals, practices that allow you to operate in a, more, in a way that's more appropriate for the, the tool set that we have. In other words, we learned what a meeting was in the office, and we just kind of transferred that in, into the remote space at the pandemic, and it didn't work. What happened? Zoom fatigue. We just took all of our calendars and all the hallway conversations that we needed to have, and we calendarized it and scheduled 30 meeting Zoom calls, right? And it's like, well, you know, as the funny New Yorker cartoon says, well, maybe this meeting didn't need to be an email. And I think even the way that meetings happen, we need to rethink at a fundamental level, what is a meeting? right? And how does that happen? And really think about the skills and the norms and the conventions that we bring to the table. And that's what we've been trying to do at, at Mural, right? And that goes, as, that goes as far as even like human connection, right? Because in the, in the physical office, we have water cooler conversations and happy hours and lunchtime conversations. And, and when you miss all of that too, you actually don't connect as a, as, as a team. So what can you do remotely to help your teams connect? Those are things that we work on here at Mural.
1: So, what are you, what, what's your sort of best practice then at Mural? And I was laughing as you were, as you were describing, you know, I, if I get a group of people together, big or small, and I say, who's ever been in a crap meeting? Like everybody puts their hands up. And then if I get people to write down, you know, the top five things that would have to be true to make a meeting amazing for them, nobody struggles to come up with that list. That list is very common. Maybe we, maybe there's, you know, we can take 10 people's fives and, but we we'll never get longer than a list of sort of 10. And it's like, why do we do this to ourselves? Like we all know we're in a crap meeting, but nobody seems to feel able to get it back on track or so I I guess you've got people who are coming into your business who are used to working in person, teach them. What do you have to get them to change? What do you think is best in class in terms of being remote first and running remote only meetings?
0: I think overall it's about intentionality. Um, you know there there are some well maybe maybe nor more negative descriptions of our work experience in the office as sleepwalking through the day, right? And I heard even somebody say they're you know zombies <laughs> zombies, office zombies, right? I think though what that you know those are those are you know a little humorous little description, but i think I think what is pointing at is we just kind of went through the motions. and I think what what the aid as we say, that got ripped off during the pandemic was, we have to now suddenly be conscious of everything. How do you, how do you take turns? Uh, you know, I just this innocent little thing that seems natural, like how do you take turns on a Zoom call so that it's fair and equitable and you don't have the traffic collisions that, that you do? Even just something as small as that, we have to rethink, right? So I think it, it is about slowing things down and really looking at it intentionally. I kind of already hinted at this. What do I do before the meeting starts? How do we get it started? how are we going to decide what do we do afterwards what do we do after that how do you follow up and you need to reimagine it so i think what it brings is an intentional mindset on the one hand but on the other hand reimagining reimagining things right the the, the norms and the and the rituals that you bring that you bring to the table uh and you can think about that at a micro level micro structures but also at Uh, methods and techniques that actually get you from point a to point b we could talk talk more about that but sometimes you know to to your question about things that you would do sometimes it's just a few small little things like do a check-in before you get started right it only takes two minutes right and you can you can say it could be it could be you know what's your what's your mood today or what did you do on the weekend or something that is kind of takes the place of that walking in the meeting room together in the physical office, we don't get that in remote. So It's just everybody's on and then somebody says, let's start the meeting. It's like, no, let's take that minute to get present to everybody who's there. And it really could just be about 120 seconds, Dom. That actually changes how the rest of the meeting goes. Uh, introducing a way to take turns, to regulate turn taking, right, um, is it, also something that, that can make a huge difference. Just these little microstructures that you can inject into a meeting suddenly change the nature of it when, you, when you're mediated through technology like we are right here.
1: And what about things like a commitment from everybody to not be on WhatsApp or doing their email whilst in a meeting?
0: Yeah. Well, So team agreements, this is something we've written about before. Team agreements ha- have emerged as, as something that's not a uh, nice to have, particularly if you have a remote team that's very distributed across time zones or if you have a new team that's coming together and they need to form the rules of engagement as I as I describe it as well too, make those explicit. Again, it's about intentionality and making it explicit. And you can sit, you know, it only takes a half an hour or an hour to say, what are the channels that we wanna use together and how? What are the expectations that the team has from each other in terms of response times or how we're going to behave? What should it feel like To collaborate in this team and you can actually make a a team agreement which is you record it and everybody says i agree to that um again sometimes it's 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 very micro in in detail like what is the expected response time one thing that we've heard uh from a lot of remote workers is with a chat tool like slack people expect the answer right away or they'll get a, a slack message from their boss on the weekend and they're like wait do i now have to respond to this well talk about it. Like like literally, because if one person expects you to respond right away, but you're saving up all your Slack messages for the end of the day, so you protect your deep work time, then there's going to be this this tension in the air, this confusion in the air as well too. So team agreements emerges as a practice that you can do to talk about how you're going to collaborate intentionally. Yes.
1: I And I do think some teams are very good at taking turns and other teams it goes back to my thing about what would have to be true. People know the answer, but then they just haven't created the space to have the discussion.
0: And, and there's, simp- there's simple things like popcorning. Maybe you've heard of popcorning or you've done it as well, too. When you're on a Zoom call or tele- telecommunication call, if everybody has to contribute, let's say it's a stand-up, it's a stand-up, right? The last person that goes picks the next person to go, right? Because Yeah, because you have everybody's name listed there. That doesn't work in person, by the way. Unless you know everybody's
1: name. Oh, no, I look. I well, I I have to say, I do that in person all the time. In person, people just assume we're going to go round in a circle. There's people just assume that's what you're going to do. And I go, no, no, you have to now pick somebody. And like, oh my God, everybody's freaked out because we're not going round in a circle.
0: Well, that only works if you know everybody's name, because you generally don't sit there with a nameplate in front of you. So if you have a new team or you're working with a client or external people, sometimes the popcorning doesn't work in person, but it almost always works remotely because webcams generally have the person's name. And the interesting thing about that is two things. One is, as people are speaking, you have to at least passively pay attention to who already spoke, because when it gets to you, you got to pick somebody who didn't go. But you're also aware of their names and there's this personal connection of me shouting out Dom and you shouting out Jim and then I shout out Sally. So there's this human connection that also comes. And again, this is a a very microscopic kind of structure, but popcorning actually helps you understand your team and pay attention in a new way. And just introducing popcorning as a way of taking turns can can change the, me- the 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 whole nature of the meeting.
1: Yes. And I also I think one of the big things it's not a collaboration whiteboard thing but breakout rooms made such a difference. And again that can be really hard to replicate in person and particularly good for making sure that we hear from hear from the introverts in a group who in person or online are you know, gonna be hesitant to be the first person to speak.
0: Yeah, you have you have to take into account different personality types, different, you know, levels of in intro, extroversy, different cognitive styles, neurodiversity as well too. And just assuming that you're just gonna get on Zoom and have a conversation. It's not very inclusive very often, right? Not everybody gets a chance to speak. Some people are more shy and things like that. And really introducing a way to to be more inclusive and equitable in the participation. So participation equity is, is more difficult when your interactions are mediated through technology. And again, I think the way that you solve that is with intentional habits and rituals and practices, right? Rather than just letting things happen organically and sitting around a a polycom phone and just letting the conversation happen you can bring in little little structures of things little moments of intentionality and say okay now we're going to popcorn everybody gets to speak once you got to call out somebody's name and we cycle through the whole list just that little moment of intentionality really changes the how everybody perceives the session
1: what other rituals are different in mural versus when you were at Citrix or Cisco, where, where, which one was
0: it? It was Citrix, so the makers of meeting. that's a, a Zoom-like tool. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing about Mural, really the thing about Mural is the visual nature of it. So Mural is a cloud-based application you can access right through your browser. And if you're not familiar with it, you essentially get a blank canvas in your browser that you can zoom in and out of, right? A lot like Google Maps. So let's say you pair Mural with Zoom. On the one hand, I have audio and video and a chat through Zoom. But then I have this visual canvas where everybody in the session can contribute at any time. They can contribute at their own pace. And what that does is it unlocks a lot of energy that I've found is behind this kind of funnel, this bottleneck effect that you get on Zoom. Only one person can talk at a time on Zoom, right? And people people want to talk and they don't know how to raise, how do you raise your hand on Zoom? They have a hand raise feature now, I know. But sometimes it's hard to really to break in. What adding Mural does is it allows people to express themselves in different ways and at different times. So a couple of things happen. One is we've we've found, um, many customers have told us, we've experienced this ourselves, that uh, you get this different expression of ideas and contribution to the conversation. So the people that used to sit in the back of the room when you were all together, right, the introverts, Suddenly, they're participating more when you give them a keyboard and a tool like Mural, because they can add sticky notes and all kinds of things. So you get this outpour of content, not just volume, but the quality is is better, right? The other thing, too, Dom, is what I call parallel processing. You don't have to wait until your colleague finishes speaking on Zoom to express yourself. So literally, the whole team, if you do a stand-up, the whole team can do a stand-up at the same time on Mural. Right. You don't have to cycle through and take two minutes per person because if you have 10 people, it's 20 minutes. What if I just said, okay, I'm going to put three minutes on the timer. Everybody add their sticky notes for their stand up. Right. Now we've gone through everybody in three minutes instead of 20 minutes. So this idea of what I call parallel processing actually makes better use of the group's time because you're not bottlenecked between the one at a time kind of uh, turn taking that you get on Zoom.
1: Yeah, I I was going to Segue into something else to pick your brains on, which is jobs to be done. Because you're the author of the jobs to be done playbook, tangential to your work at Mural. But certainly that's the that's a tool that we use with many of our clients. And and mural is the way in which we're able to manage through that tool. So even if we're in person, we're probably doing that on mural because we're gonna, you know, we're gonna iterate over time and we're gonna copy it and we're gonna play with it. And you know, doing it on post-it notes is fine, but then then all we've got is a picture, and we're gonna to have to. If you don't want to work on it, and you, as you say, when we're in the room on Tuesday, and we want to do some more work on it on Friday, it's really helpful. And so, what's your what's your involvement, or why have you why did you end up writing a book on jobs to be done?
0: Yeah, um, that to some degree reflects my background in design and innovation, and I was really trying to understand uh, human needs. You know, just to boil it down. And if you go out and Google why do startups fail right now, if you Google why do startups fail. You'll find people that have done some kind of research, either formal or informal, and come up with a top 10 list, top 10, li- top 10 reasons why startups fail. And one of the top three, if not the top one, is almost always, we forgot we, we, we didn't understand the market needs. You know, there's funding and some other things.
1: Uh, well, at number two is probably we ran out of money. See, number one. <laughs> yeah, because we, we couldn't get anyone to buy this thing that we thought was a good idea.
0: Exactly. I mean, it's product market fit is the other way to say that uh, as well, too, right? And typically product market fit is we have a product. How do we find people to use it? But what Jobs to be Done says is let's go out and understand the market before we make the product. Right. So it's kind of working backwards. Right. On that. And that's ultimately what Jobs to be Done is. It's a way to listen to the humans that you want to serve as human beings not as users or customers, but what are they trying to get done? That's called the job to be done. And how can we understand that in a way that is clear and precise? So jobs to be done, the framework brings a lot of rigor and precision into it that uh, a lot of business stakeholders really appreciate. And I think there's a relationship between some of what we were just talking about around collaboration and jobs to be done, because ultimately I see jobs to be done as a collaboration tool. I actually position it that way in my book. It's a collaboration tool because you very often assume alignment in an organization and you assume agreement around your strategy and what the nature of the problem is, right? We know our market and, you know, my neighbor next to me has the same mental model that I do of the, And it's almost never the case. So what jobs to be done does is it, it helps you articulate that. And as you said, Dom, if you do that on a mural canvas, you're literally getting that out there and you're saying, who are the people that we're trying to solve? What's their job? Where's their where are their unmet needs? Everybody can see that at the same time so that they can have a conversation in the name of alignment. So jobs to be done is really an alignment tool and it feeds into some of the the, the points that we were just talking about.
1: I think that, I suppose there's a step before that where you go, who is our customer? And I've been in many organizations where somebody says, customer, and you say, tell me what you mean by customer. And everybody's got a different, you know, average, biggest, smallest, you know, and I'm saying, I'm thinking about the future one that we might, you know, might buy from us a maximum profit. And you got to get that alignment, and then you go, okay well I mean again i I say to clients and prospects all the time, why does somebody buy from you and not from your competitor? I get very few people who can give me a real answer. They start going blah 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 blah, and then they go, "You know what I don't fucking know i i can't I can't really tell you, and yet we're in a meeting about strategy and and the fundamental pieces are missing. Or, they are there, but, as you say, because they're not commonly understood, we can't move forward in a coherent way,
0: yeah, and again, jobs to be done is is very precise and clear about that. the job performer that's the person that has an objective you're trying to you're trying to bring value to somebody by supporting them and getting their job to be done, right that that, that's, that should ultimately be how, how are you going to differentiate is we get the job to be done differently than somebody else. It's either more complete or in a different way. Right. And those two questions that you asked are actually how I when I teach jobs to be done and do workshops and things. Those are the first two questions is who, who are you trying to serve? And we call that the job performer. And I have a canvas called the jobs to be done canvas 2.0. And you put that in there. And then what what is the job they're trying to get done? You call that your target job, right? And just having a conversation around, and I've experienced this, just having a conversation around those two things very often exposes misalignment inside of organizations, right? And the collaboration tool aspect of jobs to be done that, uh, that I'm talking about is getting that out. Uh, and you know what? It's okay if you don't agree on the job performer, and it's okay if you don't agree on the target job, But you got to you got to you got to get that out and understand where everybody's coming from, so that you can at least harmonize that right into into one coherent vision of what you're trying to do as an organization, right?
1: Yeah, because otherwise, how do you have a go-to-market plan? Like you can't do anything. But I'm amazed. I go into an organization and they've got a head of marketing, they've got sales and marketing budgets, and yet they don't know what job they're trying to do and they don't know who they're trying to do it for. And so, but it's never occurred to them before that the alignment doesn't exist. And it's so when you when you expose people to that they are I don't know. Alan Weiss has got a great phrase. He said I'm always surprised how stupid I was 2 weeks ago. And you've just you've just got to go look it is what it is, right? You didn't realize you were and there was a lack of alignment. There is now. What are we going to do differently as a result?
0: Right. Yeah. Agree. Okay. And you know, I think jobs to be done. It's not a silver bullet, right? It's not the only cure. And there's other things that you can do, right? you know Steve Blank has his you know cust- continuous customer discovery and there's all kinds of lean methodologies and stuff like that I think Jobs to be done actually fits very well in with those other other types of motions even agile and design thinking and what it brings to the table I find is that precision and rigor that I talked about when you're talking about human needs because even if you could agree on an approach you still might not be talking about a human need in the same way as somebody else so it takes something that's amorphous and fuzzy like human beings and how they operate in the world, and it, it allows you to insert it back into your business in a very precise way. And I feel that actually fuels a lot of other things, like lean. Well, what? Do you, okay, what are you going to build, measure, learn against? Well you have a hypothesis, right? What is that hypothesis driven by usually? And it's sometimes you just pull it out of the air, right? Uh, Well, what Jobs to be Done says is no, no, no. You can actually observe the world and come up with a hypothesis that's based on something, right? There's evidence that this is the target that you should build, measure, learn against, right? So Jobs to be Done gives a lot of power to existing techniques, but ultimately, what I find it does is it brings focus and alignment to teams. And that's needed more now than ever because of the distributed nature of our teams, right? You're not going to have those uh, face-to-face interactions and all the happy hours and all the other times that you come together as a team and get aligned. So you need to be explicit, more explicit, I believe, more explicit. So, you know, kind of a theme that I'm listening as I'm talking here is, being intentional, being explicit. I think that's what the modern workplace needs, whether it's being explicit about how you collaborate or being explicit about your vision or being explicit about your go-to-market strategy. It needs to be more explicit these days. I believe that's kind of the key to getting that alignment.
1: Yeah, and I, I think Steve Blank says the answer is not in the office. I think one of the steps after that, jobs to be done around alignment is, okay, we have a hypothesis, let's go test it let's not build a thing. I see that, you know, 65% of products and services fail. They build, somebody builds a thing and then they say to sales, go sell it. And then sales come back and go, it's too expensive. It's not right. The customer doesn't want it. The people, you know, just could have found that out so much earlier. If you were prepared to test a hypothesis that you'd created rather than just assume your assumption was fact. And so that happens, that happens a lot
0: I agree. And that's a position of humility, which is we have a passion and we have a belief and it's okay. That's great. You have a passion and a belief and maybe you have funding and a brand as well, too. What Jobs to Be Done asks you to do is put that aside. Let's put that aside and let's look at the world from a more unbiased, uncolored, uncolored from your own perspective point of view and just what the heck are people trying to get done? Can we describe that? Can we describe what their outcomes are? Even their emotions, that's part of the jobs to be done framework. It allows you to dissect that and in a very precise way, put that up as the basis of your hypothesis.
1: And I, so often companies are so internally focused. Like estate agents say things like, like no estate agent ever has persuaded some human being to sell a house. You have decided to sell a house before you talk to a real estate agent, not the other way around. So they go. They they see themselves as much bigger part of the journey as opposed to just the least favorite piece. Or, you know, we were I was talking to a client earlier today, you know, we were talking about innovation and letting things go or having a hypothesis to test. And he was saying how they'd spent Eighteen months building a thing before they had to admit that they didn't really know what they were building or why they were building it. But there was a sense that we've already spent so much money on this, we have to keep going, right? Like sunk cost fallacy. Or, or in the past, I remember somebody saying, you know, the Black and Decker drill in the U.S. Certainly in the U.K., a Black and Decker is not what your tradesman would turn up with, right? So in the U.K., Black and Decker bought by bought by wives. For Father's Day, you know, and they used to say that not so much now, but the 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 competitive good was a tie, right? I'm going to buy Dad a new drill or a tie, right? Whereas if you're if you're in Black & Decker, you think you're up against other drill makers, you know, and you're and it's like never bought by Dad, always bought by his wife or his daughters, you know, and so just that again is a position that most companies wouldn't take unless they had done some sort of jobs to be done. And let's have a look at who's buying this and why.
0: I describe it sometimes, you know, there's a a detailed process that I teach in my training course and things like that. But when I just want to describe the effect of jobs to be done on the organization, sometimes I describe it as an out of body experience, because what you do is you say, I don't care. You almost have to declare it out loud. You, You don't actually do this, but you have to say, I don't care about my product my technology, my price point, my solution. I, I literally, that's what I teach when I, when I do jobs to be done is how to write about human needs without making any reference to any solution, right? It, it's actually harder than you think, right? And by doing that, you expunge any reference to yourself. So you also expunge the bias. And then what you do is you look out back at yourself and you say, okay, now that I have this new perspective, because this, this is how moms see a drill Right. The job to be done at the drill is not to drill a hole in the wall. It's to give a gift to the husband. Right. So that's a completely different job to be done. Right. And by, float, by floating out of your own body, quote unquote, you can, you can look at that. It, that takes humility to do that. That takes a little bit of intentionality and will to do that because you might not like the answer.
1: Well, I, I remember we did some work with a client and we worked through and they said, okay, so the client has this need. The job to be done is that the client—it's a shipping company. The client needs to know where their stuff is, 24 by 7. If you're, if you're the shipping manager, because at some point something's not going to arrive on time, and somebody's going to ring you up and say, "Where the hell's my pallet?" and you need to be able to seamlessly find that out. And the company went, "Okay, well we've got them covered. We've got 24 by 7, you know, telephone support." It's like, well, how they feel about that and the way you've just described them when you've put yourself in their shoes and the thing that you're offering—there's a big gap. It might. It, you even, it's like, you're just not describing in a way where they would read that you've got a thing and they would intuitively know that that solved their problem or did the job. And they're like, ah, okay. And then I said, and what do you sell? Well, we move stuff. Okay. Let's have a look at your website. What's on your website? Trucks. Do you sell trucks? No, we don't sell trucks. Right. And so they were able to, they were able to think about once you put yourself in that, in the seat that, you know, the shoes of the customer does. Does this person, our the you know the shipping manager in one of our prospective clients, when he turns up and looks at our website, does it look like we can solve his problem? Does it look like we understand his challenges? And they did some changes and they grew they grew that bit of their business ten percent a week for several weeks, which was you know just just with a really simple tweak around how they described their solution without actually changing the solution at all.
0: Without changing it, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's 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 something in there as as well too. It, it it does take a little bit of effort. I think it takes a a little bit of humility. But you know, you mentioned Steve Blank saying, you know, get out of the building. You know, there's an abbreviation of that. But just thinking about that, you know, get out of the building. It's rooted in the assumption that we're all going to be in the physical place in this, at the same time, right? It's a pre-pandemic mindset. Of we're actually in a building. So the question in the modern workplace is, how do we get out of the building? In quotes when we're not together anymore, and how do we get that sensitivity and that exposure to the needs of the people that we're trying to serve when we're all around the world, right? And I think frameworks like jobs to be done, again, I think are are more important now that we're distributed for that focus and that alignment effect is we can't just get out of the building because I'm not in the building, but I still need to be aligned with you, Dom. We have to have a common mental model of what's going on. So the the need for these types of frameworks only increases in the hybrid post pandemic world.
1: Fab, Jim, what is it you know now that you wish you'd known earlier? That's a great question. I mean,
0: I mean, I think for me, I've always been a remote work advocate, and for me, I've you know, kind of, kind of preaching remote work as possible. And I've had, you know had people before the pandemic tell me it's not possible, and then during the pandemic, everybody figured out, oh, actually, it it is possible. So. I think, I think the pandemic kind of accelerated all of that, right? And kind of seeing the punchline, for me, as a, as a lifelong remote work advocate, seeing the punchline that the pandemic delivered about the, the viability of working from different locations and distributed teams was something that re- really, really helped me. I mean, it was fulfilling in some respect because that was the soapbox I was on for so long, but uh, I learned a lot myself as well, too. And the just the inventiveness and the imagination that people came to the pandemic situation where we were all remote was, was really educational for me to see how people solve their problems. And a lot of the things that I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I actually learned from working with our customers, right? And seeing how they reinvented the way they collaborate.
1: Very good. And you're the author of the Jobs to be Done playbook available from all good bookstores. What else should people pick up? What else have you, what recommendations do you have?
0: Sure, sure. I, I was looking into uh, Roger Martin's works. I, I like, I love his book on the play to win, was was one of my favorite books, still is on on strategy in general. But he's got a new one out called a new way to think, which speaks to some of the points that I that I've been talking about. We have to rethink not only how we understand customer needs, right, through the lens of jobs to be done, but we need to rethink how teams collaborate. And what it means to be on a team or what it even means to be in an organization these days. Right. It's something of a greatest hits of his works and writing that I've seen elsewhere, like on his blogs and HBR articles. But he really brings it all together. And I think the title Excel, Excel kind of po- points to you know, where his mind is that what what's the phrase? the 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 way the ways of the past aren't going to get us to the future the way that we used to do things isn't going to get us to the future i think that's really what he's talking about and he's talking about it at a business level a strategy go to market level we got to rethink a lot.
1: Of Very good. You got anything else?
0: I mean, I just kind of mentioned to, you know, rethinking organizations, Frederick Laloux. this book is now about a decade old, but I've been looking at it recently as well too. reinventing organizations, reinventing or- organizations where he talks about different types of organizations moving away from what he calls an orange organization. That's a modern multinational corp to a green and then a teal organization, which is a self-managing organization. Right. And that's, That's really interesting. Is uh, yeah, teamwork is hard and remote work is hard, but you know, what if the problem is just the way that organizations work, right? And what if we could think of a new form of collaborating at a business level, like people coming together? That's what an organization is, right? People coming together to deliver some value to them to a market. What if we can reinvent how that? works. And that's really what he talks about in
1: that book. Very good. Jim, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and pick your brains today.